Once again, you already know what it is and you already know where you have reached. The number one up-and-coming professional wrestling podcast. The number one podcast dedicated to combat sports. This is the number one up-and-coming podcast, period. This is the Hubbard Wrestling Weekly Podcast. And I am your host and founder, Sean Hubbard. What up, though? Coming to you live right now from HubbardWrestlingWeekly.com, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and wherever you may be listening on any podcast platform, we welcome you and we thank you. Very tough time in our world and our country right now, but we're going to get through it together. I'm going to bring y'all some good energy, energy, some good vibes as we talk about a retro review of Survivor Series 1991, April 4th, 2020. Only a couple of hours away from night one of WrestleMania. And we're going to talk about all that right here and right now. But before I introduce you to my big time guest, I got to reintroduce all my business owners out there to Haskraya.com. Listen, there's only one way you want to do it when you want to project yourself on the internet and your business on the internet in the right way. And that's through Haskraya.com. Go to Haskraya.com right now. Check out their list of who's who clients that they have already given their services to. It's it's everything in the world of entertainment, in the world of business, and you want to make sure you add your name to that list. So go right now to H-A-A-S-C-R-E-A.com for your web development and web platform needs. I'm talking about Haskraya.com because we love tech. Bringing you a little bit of that old school heart foundation theme from 1990, you know what I'm saying, 19, probably 89, 90, 91, real cool vibes. Listen, before I get into this show, man, uh, I want to kind of address the elephant in the room. Before I introduce my guest, I want to address this elephant in the room, and that's what's going on in our world, in our country right now. I'm not going to even add any glory to it, you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to add any power to it by even mentioning the name of it, but we all know the situation is going on right now, and I want to let everybody know God is real. I'm praying for everybody out there. I know y'all are praying for me too. We're going to get through this together, and we wanted to do this show. I wanted to do this show tonight, right on the doorstep of WrestleMania, to bring y'all something else to smile about. Good vibes, good energy, and nothing but but bright and happy thoughts as we get through this situation as a world and as a country together. So with that being said, man, we're talking about Survivor Series 1991. We're talking about Hulk Hogan defending the WWE Championship against The Undertaker. We're talking about Team Flair versus Team Rowdy Roddy Piper. We're talking about the whole situation with Miss Elizabeth and 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 Macho Man and the whole nine yards. We're gonna talk about everything, man. We're gonna get into it right now. But before we do, I gotta make sure I introduce my guest, man, because my guest about to bring some heat to this episode, bring some good vibes to this episode with his knowledge and expertise in the world of professional wrestling. He is the host of a very, very successful brand and successful show called Everything Pro Wrestling. You check him out doing AEW reviews. You can check him out doing WWE reviews. He's probably going to be doing, I think he's going to be doing a WrestleMania review show tonight. Make sure you check him out after you check out my show, after you check out WrestleMania, then check out my guest on his review show of WrestleMania. Listen, I'm talking about my good friend, my brother. We talk on a regular basis, and we're going to continue working together. It's good vibes. My boy Conrad of Everything Pro Wrestling. Welcome back to the show, my brother. What's going on, Sean? Thank you so much for having me on once again to talk some pro wrestling with you. You already know what it is, man. Um, first and foremost, how's your family doing? Everybody all right? 
Yeah, everybody's doing well here. Uh, me and my wife both work in the hospitals and stuff, so we're still kind of close to it. Mm-hmm. I know some people are starting to get to work from home in New York and everything else, but we don't have that luxury as of yet. But we're still uh, going through this thing. But, you know, uh, keep faith and things hopefully will get better. That's all we can say right now at this point, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, my kid's over with my mother at her house right now. Um, you know, the family's kind of all, all together. I live on the other end of town. Um, here in Westchester, and I have also, I run a nursing home, so I'm in the mix of people who cannot stay home from work, so like you said, we're staying prayerful, we're staying optimistic, and we're going to bring some real cool pro wrestling talk to the people right now, so we're going to jump right into this thing, we're going to go back in time, man, retro review, so happy to do this with you again, bro, because last time we had such a great time with it, we're going to do it again, this time we're going back to Detroit, Michigan, November 27th, 1991, a fairly historic, I say fairly because there's mixed reviews about this particular show, but I think a fairly historic show took place on November 27, 1991. We're talking about the 1991 installment of the Survivor Series. Hulk Hogan defending the WWE Championship against The Undertaker, coming off the heels of the big deal between Jake Roberts, Sick and the Snake on uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, a little bit of heat between the Rockers. Uh, the debut, pay-per-view debut, that is, of Nature Boy Ric Flair on WWE television. What do you remember about the build-up to this? Because, honestly, it was a really big deal, uh, especially considering the fact Taker had only been in the WWE for a year, Flair coming over from WCW. A lot of good stuff happening at this time. Man, how times are different now, too, compared to then. Um, when I see this time period, I feel like a lot of stuff's in limbo. And the WWF's in a nice point of, let's try some things. We know where we want to go, or at least we thought we did at this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're just trying different things. Some of the feuds were like lead-up feuds. Because um, usually by this point, they're starting to build towards WrestleMania. But I feel at this point, they're like, well, Warrior didn't work out the way we wanted him to. So what are we going to do now? And they're just trying to put the pieces together. It's like a puzzle. Everything is just spread out and what fits together and what doesn't anymore. So they're trying new things. So I think it's an interesting time. Um, you brought up some really good things that they were doing at this point. And I don't know how further into the future we'll talk, but some of the things that wind up happening from all this become really good or baffling to some people, too. Most definitely, and I, and I definitely look forward to talking about the future. Honestly, I really don't even want to focus so much on the card itself, other than, you know, obviously there's some main points we have to touch on. This is a major pay-per-view, but, like, I'm going to skip over some stuff, man, with you, because the, the before and the after of this pay-per-view is almost as important as what took place on November 27, 1991. Um, the first match of the night, it featured the Mountie, Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man, that is, the Warlord. Uh, the you know Harvey Wilkman, Jimmy Hart, Mr. Perfect, and Sensational Sherry were in the corner. They were not allowed to stay at ringside. Uh, Sensational Sherry <laughs> stayed at ringside, but Roddy Piper did a little something about that. But on the other hand, on the other side of the track, she had Bret Hart, British Bulldog, Roddy Piper, and Virgil. Um, Ric Flair was part of the Mountie team, and I'll tell you something, man. Ric Flair came in like gangbusters. He's rocking the old WCW belt. Even though we all know he brought the tag belt, he probably uh, you know borrowed <laughs> Animal's tag belt to come to the ring. But we all know what the premise and the point was behind that. Ric Flair, man, uh, the Mountie, Ted DiBiase, and the Warlord against Bret Hart, the Bulldog, Piper, and Virgil. What are your remembrance about this particular match? 
I guess it's going to remind me of a song. Um, which one of these is not like the other? There you go. I thought Ric Flair did not belong in here with these guys at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just felt very weird, but I get why he was. I feel like him and Piper were the captains of the team. Oh, sure. But they they just didn't know what they wanted to do with so many guys. I felt like they, they were like, okay, we got all these guys in these little miniature feuds. How do we put a bow on it and put them all in a match together and still get, you know, Flair involved with the stuff he did with Piper? Because Piper was a commentator at this time, if some people don't know. Yes. Uh, so you would catch him on commentary shows, and Flair had slapped him in the back of the head. This led to a lot of different things, and this was kind of Flair's first feud coming in. So, Flair just did not belong in this spot. It, it felt so weird. Um, it, it, it was weird to see Mr. Perfect come out as a manager, too. Like, this is the beginning stages of Mr. Perfect in these bright jumpsuits coming out <laughs> with, with Ric Flair. It just felt so weird to see. Like, you wanted to see Perfect and Flair go against each other one day, and now it's like, oh, Mr. Perfect, the younger guy's the manager of him. Yeah, it's cra- it was crazy because, like you said, very accurately... The whole uh, executive consultant thing wasn't really as clearly defined as it would as it would be in the next few months. And another good point you made: Ric Flair came in beefing with 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 um with Roddy Piper. It wasn't all about Hogan when he first walked in the door. Now he did mention Hogan. He was the real world champion compared to Hogan being the WWE champion. But Ric Flair was in Piper's face, and Piper was in Ric Flair's face, and they went to war. At least went to war. Um you know, verbally, which led to this match. And I agree with you. Ric Flair kind of became the de facto uh, captain of this team, though Ted DiBiase, I think, was officially the captain. And then you had Roddy Piper on the other side. And, you know, interesting series of elimination. Uh, I had to disagree with you respectfully, man, because, like, I, I do see why they did it. They wanted Ric Flair to come in with a bang. If you think about how this match played out, Ric Flair got the only pinfall for his team of the match before the whole schmage at the end, which led to him being the sole survivor. So, you know, though it was definitely a deal of one of these things is not like the other, Ric Flair coming out on top, a little apropos, wouldn't you say? Yeah, so when I see this, I see like the WrestleMania 7 matchup still playing out a little bit. Mm -hmm. You got the British Bulldog and Warlord as a matchup. You got Bret Hart in the Mountie, Mm -hmm. DiBiase and Virgil over the million dollar title. So you're still playing off of stuff from 1991. Mm -hmm. And eventually this is all going to get remixed, as we know, with uh, title matches and everything else. This is kind of your mid-card setup going into 1992 with uh, some of the matchups. And even then, like, let's just look. Survivor Series starts to build the mania. We know that we know that eventually we're going to get Bret Hart and Roddy Piper. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a, a very interesting matchup for the time period. Um, I don't know. I just thought Flair could have been in a better situation than this. I think maybe him and Piper in a one-on-one match would have felt better too. Okay, okay. But I think I think it all was Survivor Series back in the day. It all came down to those numbers, whether you were doing four-man uh, teams or five-man teams, and if the numbers just didn't work. It wasn't going to work at all for it. And they were trying to get as many people on the pay-per-view cards to get the paydays out there. I just felt Ric Flair was a little bit bigger than this. And maybe part of the reason for my uh, sourness towards this was the ending. That Schmoz ending, oh, it still breaks when WWE does these like today. Mm-hmm. Like the whole nothing really happened yet. And they're like, oh, that's it. Everybody's disqualified. I'm like, nothing has happened yet. You're like, let the chaos ensue for a little bit. And they just were ready to call things off right away. I gotta be honest with you, brother. Like, 
I loved it. <laughs> I loved oh, it. man. I loved it. The fact that it, like, if it had ended in a triple, quadruple disqualification, sure. But the fact that Ric Flair somehow staggers to his feet and, and probably not even knowing that he won, all of a sudden he's a sole survivor, that was classic. That was so good. Mm-hmm. And then you yeah. have Bobby Heenan celebrating and Gorilla Mount. By the way, to me, the greatest combination of... I, I put them above um, Lawler and, and JR, as legendary as they are. I think Gorilla and Bobby are the greatest to ever do it. But they, um, you know, Bobby celebrating and, you know, Gorilla Monsoon, will you stop? It was so cool. Uh, you know what, though? It was old school cheap heat, too. You got to remember the times you're in. Yeah. It, they thought that was good heat back then. Yeah. I think, because I, I just rewatched all this, so I'm looking at it as a fan of today. I was just like, not on pay-per-view, bro. Not a DQ on pay-per-view. <laughs> Come on, man. I paid for this. Someone paid for this. Um, but, yeah, they, they did what they wanted to do. They got Flair over. Flair looked strong. He he basically hung in there with all the mid-card guys. Yes. And it's going to come into in play later, which I like what they did better with him later on, which we'll probably get into. Oh, we're definitely getting into it. As a matter of fact, we're going to speed into it because we're going to talk very briefly about this next match. It was a clean sweep. Hacksaw Jim Duggins, a, a revitalized, re-Americanized Sergeant Slaughter. Texas Tornado and Tito Santana went 4-0 against the Berserker, Colonel Mustafa, Hercules, and Skinner. What were your thoughts about this match? <laughs> no, no, no thoughts about this. <laughs> I gotta laugh. Um, well, so here's the thing. As a kid, I was never the biggest Hacksaw Jim Duggan fan. Okay. I never saw the appeal. I mean, cool, he's the dude who yells, oh, he comes down with the two-by-four. Duggan's a great guy. I've met him personally before. Oh, nice. Absolutely love the dude. But as a character, I just never saw the appeal because I felt like they were never going to go all the way with him. And as adults, I'm pretty sure we know why later on. Of course. Because of hanging out with the Iron Sheik. Of course. But um, Duggan was where it was. I was happy to see Sergeant Slaughter return as a babyface. A lot of people would probably find that surprising. Um, Pardon me while I stick my finger down my throat. <laughs> well, you liked him as a heel better? Oh, he was way better. Wait, this this return to America thing was stupid. I, I just, I think every time I see him, I think of the G.I. Joes. Uh, okay. Shout out to my man Roadblock that I got as an action figure as a kid. There you go. But, um, yeah, dude, Sergeant Slaughter to me just, he is a baby face. He should always represent America. When he did that, it was heel heat, but I, as a kid, I was hurt. So I'm like, oh, come on, Sarge, you can't be like that. And uh, who else was in this? Uh, the Texas Tornado. I always wanted to see them do more with him. And in all honesty, I never knew any of the like the motorcycle accident and all that stuff as a kid. Yeah, until we, my we didn't know about me. that. We didn't know about that at the time, right? Yeah, I just always thought they could have done more with him. He just had the look like he he had the look like he could be world champ one day if you if you push him right. And Tito Santana to me, he was Mister Survivor Series before there was one. Uh, he was always on the right side of the teams, and he always did good work. I feel like Tito Santana doesn't get talked about enough, too, in today's wrestling. He doesn't, you know, and it's like he's 1-8 in WrestleManias, which is a bad record, obviously, or 1-7. But you're right, he was the guy who, you know, he people forget that the Survivor Series last year, 1990, you know, that was the only one and only year where they did this uh, extreme match of survival, like where all the winners got together in a big, big match at the end of the night. It was Hogan, Warrior, and Tito, so... The company appreciated Tito, but we all knew Tito was what he was, you know? Yeah, I think he, I think he was kind of uh, past his prime at this point. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people miss out on that, and they just see Tito Santana as this extra guy. But he was so much more than that. If you go back and do your wrestling history, he was one of the top, uh, like, 
he was the guy if the top baby face went down, you go to Tito Santana because he's going to put on a heck of a match. And I still think he was putting on great matches during this time period. He was. I oh, if, Take a look back, everybody, if you get a chance to, uh, I believe it's the July edition, July 1990 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event, uh, Tito versus Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental Championship. And Conrad, if you haven't seen it or if it doesn't stick out in your mind, oh, let me tell you something. One of the greatest matches I've ever seen. That was a blockbuster rental. I've seen that match. I can actually remember the attire. When you said July, I was like, that's the match with Mr. Perfect. Yes. Uh, wearing this attire. I felt like Tony Khan there for a second, like remembering all the little details about yeah. it. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. But shout out to Tito, you know, one of the greatest to ever do it. You know, you could be a, a Hall of Fame mid-carder and, and there's because there's nothing wrong with that. We all have to play our position. Um, and Tito was one of the best to ever do it. And he was a former IC champion, former tag champ. So it's not like he's not a highly decorated guy. But the result of the match was that Sergeant Slaughter, Duggan, Tornado, and Santana were basically clean, clean swept. The Berserker, uh, Mustafa, who you know we all know is uh, the Iron Sheik, Hercules, and Skinner. I mean, Skinner is challenged for a couple of Intercontinental Championships, never successful. Um, Hercules challenged Hogan back in the mid-80s for the world title, never really did anything else besides that. Um, we all know that uh, Mustafa is a former WWE champion, but you know that was many years prior, and the Berserker was just kind of a novelty deal. So, um, makes sense how this match played out. Yeah, I 100% agree. They they made the right choice here, and it wasn't too long to where I even have anything bad to say about it. Exactly, exactly. So here we go. The main event of the Survivor Series. Uh, looking back in retrospect, perhaps we could have seen Hogan losing in advance because. It wasn't the main event, and we all know that back in those days, at the end of the night, Hogan must pose if Hogan is going to win. So, the fact that this was a third match on pay-per-view on a five-match card, a little bit eyebrow-raising, but you know what? Seven or eight-year-old Sean, seven or eight-year-old Conrad, we didn't know any different. We were just ready to watch. So, The Undertaker, one year in the company. Mean Mark Callis, okay, is one year in the company. But he's had one heck of a year going up against what many believe is the greatest world champion of all time. I personally don't, but I do think he's the second greatest champion of all time. Hulk Hogan. And man, oh man, what ensued was, would be history making. Um, I mean, I didn't see it coming as a child. Looking back on it all these years later, I'm still a little bit like shocked by it, but... We all know the storyline that would ensue afterwards, but let's talk about the match itself. Undertaker, Hogan, World Championship. I love the build-up to this. Mm -hmm. um, with Hulk Hogan being on the funeral parlor, that was a great set as a kid. I don't know why it sticks out in my mind so much. It was awesome. That, um, that you, you just remember so many like bad things that happened on that set, don't you? Every time they did it. Every time somebody got hurt. Always with the urn, shot to the back of the head. Oh, yeah. Take would be in a casket or hiding somewhere on the set. Uh, they did really good things with this. I think this is probably one of the top three um, attacks on the set. They really built this up. And back then as a kid, I didn't know how to feel about this because this was kind of like the first early push that I could remember somebody getting. And I'm like, Undertaker already? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very okay. quick. Very quick. Yeah, and I liked him at the time, and I was just like, okay, I, I can get down with this. I don't I, know I what's going to happen, but I'm, I'm in, in the on door. this. Yeah, I liked yeah. him when he walked in the door, but it was still surprising how fast they moved. Yeah, he he just really was on the rise during that time, and 
this was going to be one for people who always wonder. Undertaker never sold during these times. It wasn't like how it is today where Taker may stay down for a little bit. Like, you clothesline Undertaker, he sits back up. He gets back up and looks at you. Like, if you get a three count, you're lucky. Yes. Like, usually he gets back up and he's right back on top of you trying to put you in a body bag or do something to you. And Hogan was a guy who rarely lost. Like, he reminded me of maybe to some of the younger fans today, like a Goldberg. I can tell you almost everybody Goldberg's lost to because that's how rarely this man has lost. Facts. It was the same thing with Hogan. Like, he rarely lost. So I'm like, is Hogan really going to lose to some new guy? After, in in my mind, they gave up on Ultimate Warrior, kind of. They're like, okay, we're past him now. To we're your, back up Hogan. To your 100% accurate point, Hulk Hogan lost, I believe, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm accurate on this, please forgive me if I'm not. I'm thinking about I'm thinking back uh 91 Royal Rumble he won the Royal Rumble he obviously won at WrestleMania he won at SummerSlam and he won all the Saturday night's main events and he lost his survival. so Hogan did not lose in 1991 with the exception of this night I I believe you're right unless there's some fluky house show stuff with Mr. Perfect Yes other than that dude Hogan rarely lost and the build-up to this match was well done. I give Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon a lot of credit, too. Like, if you had to ask me my favorite announced team, I couldn't pick between uh, JR and King and Monsoon and Heenan. I think Monsoon and Heenan have the greatest performance of all time together. That's fair. But best sound bites, JR and King. But they did a great job in this, hyping this up. Bobby Heenan going against Hulkamania is always commentary gold. Trust me. From this time period, from like 19, I don't even know when he started on commentary. I'll say from like 87 to 96, if you can get Bobby Heenan to talk about Hogan, it's gold. Oh, yeah. Just let him do it. Um, but I'll let you set the stage for the match here a little bit. But this was this was really good, I think. It was. It was. You know, Undertaker, like you said, Undertaker was undefeated coming in. Hogan was, you know, Hogan, let's just call it what it is. The world champion. You know, this guy, this new guy, this young guy who looked older than what he was, but this is a mid-20s, you know, Undertaker at this point. Walking in the door, having a great opening year. From the time he hit the door at Survivor Series 1990, he ran roughshod over the company. Um, very rarely was even phased, like you were saying. You know, he got knocked down. He sat right back up almost instantaneously. Squashed the legendary Superfly Jimmy Snooker at WrestleMania 7. Uh, it, it was just one of those deals like he was the culprit with Jake the Snake Roberts to ruin, you know, Miss Elizabeth and Macho Man's wedding reception. I mean, Undertaker was on fire. So when you go into this match with this being the gravest challenge, and by the way, I was terrified as a kid. Um, it made sense that he would be a threat, but it was also something that made me feel like, OK, you know, this will be one more time that Hogan overcomes. He overcame he overcame Andre. He overcame Savage. He overcame. The million dollar man, he overcame whoever. So he's gonna overtake uh, he's gonna overtake the Undertaker and figure out a way to get it done. And especially after Undertaker hits the tombstone and Hogan pops right back up, I'm like, here we go. Hogan must pose. That wasn't in our minds as ten, seven, eight year old kids, but we knew what the deal was and we knew Hogan was gonna win. But that's not exactly how it played out. No. Nature boy Ric Flair makes his way down to the ringside area. And in all honesty, I, I think I can speak for both of us when I say this. The match honestly seemed to set up Hogan Flair. Like the moment from in September when Ric Flair came out 
and he had the the world's championship belt. We were like, this has got to lead to a match with him and Hogan, WrestleMania eight, title for title, whatever you were thinking back then as exactly. a kid. Exactly. Like they have to clash with each other. So you're so me going into this, I kind of was like, okay, Hogan's got to win this, right? Here comes Ric Flair, and uh, Hogan eventually intervenes, wondering what are you doing out here, knocks him down. And in the process, Flair grabs a steel chair, and while The Undertaker has Hogan up for the tombstone, Hogan gets dropped onto the steel chair for the tombstone for the pinfall. And one, two, three, The Undertaker, in a shock victory, is your WWF champion. No, he did not. 100%, bro. Wow. 100%. Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And Undertaker, and a couple of fans cheering in the front row, by the way. Mm-hmm. You, you know can hear it. Couple of people really happy about that. I wasn't. I was a Hulkamaniac. You know, years later, I would maybe regret that a little bit. But I was a Hulkamaniac, and it was very shocking and very sad for me. Uh, but looking back, it made sense. But one thing that didn't make sense, and I hate to focus on the politics of wrestling, but it's something that was going on behind the scenes that we didn't know about. But it's like you know what? It's a the first maybe attempt in my mind, as in my conscious lifetime. Where I remember the money grab that wrestling turned into. After almost instantaneously after Hogan loses the title to The Undertaker, uh, you know, the legendary Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan, rest in peace to both of those guys, announce a pay per view next week? What? This Tuesday in Texas. Oh they were hyping God. that up more than anything else. What the heck is going on around here? Let me tell you something, Conrad. I don't know how things were in your house, all right? But let me tell you how things were over here in the Hubbard household, all right? I would have to get down on my hands and knees and beg my mother to pay $30 or twenty nine ninety nine for a WWE pay-per-view, okay? So for me to have to go up to her and say, hey, Ma, by the way, <laughs> can you do me a favor? Can you spend another $30 next Tuesday? She looked at me like I was crazy, Conrad. They, I think they were just trying to see what they could milk out of people back then. Oh, man. I think, I think they were trying to see what would happen if we did pay-per-views on a different day. Because you got to remember, too, at the time, you're competing with WCW. WCW would run the Clash of the Champions shows. They would um, run other pay-per-views during this time period. Starcade was getting ready to come up, too. So maybe people were like, oh, I'll order Survivor Series, but I got to see... I got to see that Starcade pay-per-view uh, main event for 91. It, so it was a little bit different times. And I think WWE was like, hey, if we give them another show first and they spend money on ours, they won't have any money to spend on Starcade. Yeah, maybe you're right. And that's a good point. But I'll tell you one thing, man. I did not see Tuesday in Texas live. And looking back on it now, all these years later, having paid my own bills and had my own family, I can understand. Mama, Mama, Mama Hubbard was not having that. You know, two pay-per-views in a week, you must be crazy. Yeah. Just wild how that all turned out, man. Undertaker walking away with the belt, still looked dead, scared me as a little kid, just him dragging the title along with him. And we, you know, we got a lot of Jack Tunney on this show, too. A whole lot of Jack Tunney. Good God almighty. He opened up the show with the Jake Roberts and Macho Man thing that we're going to talk about in a couple seconds. <laughs> Band and Reptiles. Word. But the, the, here's the thing that I started to notice with Hogan during this time period. Hogan complaining. Mm. I think this really set up for why people did not feel bad for him. Break it down. And in one of the greatest uh, Royal Rumble matches of all time, won't get into it too deep, mm -hmm. but Hogan's complaining and illogical 
thinking he's a baby face when he's doing things that are heel in my mind are really prevalent here. And they said that Hogan was complaining, even with Mean Gene saying he's looking for Jack Tunney. He was asking where he is and what he's going to do about this. And I'm like, bro, you just lost the belt. Fair, <laughs> like, fair and Jack, square. Jack Tunney's going through some other stuff with other people. You're complaining about, I just lost the title, brother, because of this, this, and this. No one complained when Ted DiBiase got hit in the back with a steel chair at WrestleMania 4. There I don't want to hear it, Hogan. There you go. Now you're yeah. talking truth, man. Now you're talking truth. Now, look, eight-year-old Sean Hubbard, I wouldn't agree. Now, I'm with you. Yeah, so just very weird to see Jack Tunney kind of come out here. He makes the rematch so quick. He's like, at this Tuesday in Texas, The Undertaker will defend the WWF Championship against Hulk Hogan in a rematch. And in the immortal words of Bobby Heenan, it's so unfair to the Undertaker. Undertaker didn't have any time to bury any people. He didn't have any time to chill at the <laughs> cemetery. You know, just unfair on every level. Just unfair. And now and now we got to pay another, like I said, another $30 for pay-per-view. And let me tell you another reason why I wanted to, even though Mama Hubbard said no, pay $30 for another pay-per-view is because we had a couple of interviews during the course of this pay-per-view. We got an opening um, statement from President Jack Tunney saying that reptiles would be barred from ringside, blah, 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 but more importantly, because of the attack that took place on Superstars, the legendary segment where Jake the Snake Roberts suck the snake on uh, Randy Savage's arm, uh, this led to a situation where Macho Man was continuing to try and uh, politic for reinstatement. I hate to use the word politic, because in this case, politic is a good thing. He was trying to solicit supporters for reinstatement after losing the career match at WrestleMania 7. He had gotten inserted into the Survivor Series match, but because of this situation, they would not be a part of the Survivor Series. The main event would be Boss Man, Legion of Doom versus IRS, Natural Disasters, in a three-on-three. But the point I'm trying to make is, no match, but two interviews. What do you recall about Jake coming out and then Macho coming out with Elizabeth? I think two interviews for two opposite reasons, and both were awesome. Okay. So when I see the Macho Man, they did a great job in building up all of the babyface feelings that you needed to have for Macho Man. Mm -hmm. Number one, the dude has the only successful wedding in pro wrestling history. That actually nothing bad happened. But then they ruined his after ceremony. So that stands out to me. Right. With Snake, with Undertaker, and uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. So it begins there. Then Jake finally sticks the snake onto his arm. It's drawing blood. Uh, that was horrifying as a kid to watch, by the way. If you guys have never seen that, like, just imagine being a little kid. Put yourself in that mind frame and seeing all the blood on Macho Man's arm and everything else. Just wild what they did there. And Macho Man's intensity was still there. Macho Man could still go at this time. And he was a big deal. So I think what they were trying to do was split like, okay, Hogan fans, you guys will have this show and Hogan will appear on the next one. But Macho Man, this one, we're building towards him as well coming back. They're they're trying to satisfy multiple audiences with this. Jake the Snake, I think Jake going heel at this time was the right move for him too. Um, It put him on a higher level and he got to work with some of the uh, top talent. And Jake could be an evil, evil man when he wanted to be. Oh, he yes, never he really is. had to talk loud. He still uh, is. I don't know why I always remember that horrible sweater he was wearing during this time period. It was, I get it, it was the time period. But I just always remember that sweater he wore during this promo. Hor- horrible, horrible. Yeah. And uh, Jake the Snake Roberts came out there. He did his thing. And he just cut those promos in his regular voice. 
back in the 80s, you know, everybody would be like, and on Sunday, brother, you're going to see me inside the steel cage, Jake the Snake. Wait, wait, who, who are you impersonating right there? Huh? Who are you impersonating right there? Oh, that was just any <laughs> generic wrestler. <laughs> um, the... The idea of Jake the Snake could come out there and talk regular. He would just come out and say, you know, I don't have to raise my voice. That's and right. it was just like, oh, oh, hold on. You'll be quiet. Hold on. I'm trying to hear what he's got to say. Exactly. It, even today, I still find a, he still finds a way to cut promos and do the exact same thing. And I cannot lie to you. He did it last night to me oh, he's on uh, AEW Dynamite. Exact same thing. I was like, hold on, hold on. What's he saying? And Jake's got that low, raspy voice, but it works. It does. And you just pay attention to every single word he's saying, and he set up these matches perfectly. Um, very well done by both of them. Most definitely, and it definitely set the stage for Tuesday in Texas. Um, I don't know. I'm, we're going to talk about one more key element of this show um, in a brief moment. But I want to ask you about the historical significance of this, because... Looking back, okay, it was a great, sh- I won't say great show, let me let me pa- put a pause button on that. It was a good show, right? But it almost turned into, considering the fact that this Tuesday in Texas wasn't anything that I heard about before uh, Thanksgiving Eve 1991, it turned into a promo for another show, the Survivor Series, arguably the third best, I guess you get third best pay-per-view of the year. If you want to count, I'm saying arguably because maybe WCW might have something to say about that. But definitely the third best pay-per-view or third best TV show on pay-per-view that WWE produced. And it turns into a promo for a show the following week? I I think there was just a lot of underlying things happening with it. Um, I brought up the whole maybe trying to split revenue, maybe trying to satisfy... Uh, fans of Macho Man, fans of Hogan. Mm-hmm. Also noticing that the heels are becoming more over slowly but surely. Because I noticed that around this time too, even with me, that you became more more so fans of the heels a little bit. I don't know why, but it just started fluctuating that way. And you're just trying to satisfy multiple elements. And I think Vince McMahon just wanted to be known as, look, I'm the top dog. When you say pro wrestling, you think of me. You don't think of anybody else. I don't want to hear you talking about, and I'm putting this in finger quotes in Vince Vince's terms, wrestling right. from down there, down south. Right. You think of me. I put on the spectacle. I put on the show. I got all these kids going crazy wanting to buy merchandise, and you're going to order these pay-per-views for these kids because I am Americana. And that, to me, that was just Vince's mindset back then. He was trying to uh, – GED he was trying to get every dollar that he could out of people um, – and I think wrestling was on a downward turn too, don't you think? It like was Hogan and everything else it was. was. It was. There's no yeah, doubt the Hogan era was almost. I mean, again, not at the moment as a kid, but looking back, the Hogan era was on its way. That that was the beginning of the end for Hogan in WWE. That is. Yeah, and that was probably the first time people's attention spans were getting shorter a little bit with things too. Hogan would continue the run with the Hulkamania stuff for a long time after this, but. I think people's attention spans right around this point to 92, they were like, okay, we're past this. Something new. And you know something to your point about Hogan and Hulkamania going on for a long, long time? It probably wouldn't have if we didn't get the break that we got from about, say, 93 to 95, 93 to 94. And even further back because, you know, Hogan losing the title in 91 at Survivor Series, uh, he got it back a week later, whatever, but lost it, you know, politically 
He never won it back until the following WrestleMania. He only wrestled like three times a year. So Hulkamania was really on pause, I think, from Survivor Series 91 until Bash at the Beach 1994. Yeah, I think Hogan... He picked his spots after this very well. He he knew like okay, I can come back for a little bit here, and he I think he knew the people didn't want to see him, but he still wanted to be in the mix mm-hmm. for his um you know how he had his contract set up back in the day to get bigger pay per view payouts and everything else. As long as I'm in the mix and I'm in the main event, I'm cool with that for right now, brother, because I'm getting paid and I don't care. But he he just he knew what he was doing, so I give him credit for his uh, business acumen when it comes to his own stuff. Yeah, a little cutthroat, but I guess you got to give credit where credit's due in that aspect. Again, I'll never take him off of my Mount Rushmore of of pro wrestlers um, because I respect his in ring in ring contributions. But you know, if you want to take personality into consideration, you know, it wouldn't work out. But Hogan is one of the greatest to ever do it. However, he's gotten to the point he's gotten to. That's really irrelevant. It is what it is. There's been many scumbags that have done well in life, so it is what it is. But I respect him for being who he is. I respect him for being, I believe, one of the top four to ever do it. Uh, not athletically. Uh, there's just let's just go into this real quick. My Mount Rushmore. I'm not going to ask you for yours, but if you want to volunteer, it's fine. But my my Mount Rushmore is Hogan, Flair, Michaels, and Undertaker. So it's like they're in, they're, those are four guys that are in there in my mind for four completely different reasons. That's that's a tough one. Um, I always think Mount Rushmore is so hard when it comes to it. I always want it like more specified. Usually, mm-hmm. if I if I had to go with it though, um, to me, I usually go with who were the top people ever to carry the company. I think you have to put Stone Cold, Hogan, The Rock, and then that fourth one. I always give it to Shawn Michaels for me on a personal standpoint. But I think you can argue people like John Cena, The Undertaker. Brett the Hitman Hart. You could put a lot of people on that fourth spot, and I wouldn't be mad at it at all. So um, I give you props for yours, man. There's nothing wrong with that. No list. doubt. Can't argue. No doubt, man. So Hogan is no longer world champion. Um, people are in the back giving interviews. You know, uh, Mean Gene is tracking down Roddy Piper, and he does this weird, you know, ding dong promo. I still don't know what he's talking about. But God bless Roddy Piper. He never made Pat a lot Hunt, of Sean, sense. Did you ever know what Piper was talking about? Never. 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 Only, I don't know. I still don't know what a son of an unnamed goat is, but I guess it works. It is what it is. God bless him. Um, but, you know, Hogan's no longer champion. He would get the title back six days later. But, man, what a historic night this turned out to be. The following match would be the Nasty Boys uh, and Beverly Brothers going up against the uh, Bushwhackers and the Rockers. A pretty pedestrian lineup um but there's some historical significance here because this is what kind of plants the seed or continues planting the seed for what would eventually be the genesis of one of the greatest careers of all time the nasty boys and the beverly brothers would be victorious but why don't you talk to the people about how they were victorious and what happened after the match was over Hold on, I, I have to take a second in this to, to state something. So if people ever listen to us review these shows again, that they'll know where I'm coming from. Okay. I have never liked the Bushwhackers. Oh, like, no! Okay. I don't know why, man. They, they were just never it for me. Even as the kid, I had the action figures. I'm like, why? I don't why get it. I don't get it. <laughs> They're just going to lose to a good team. Exactly. Like, you know what? They were always jobbers on pay-per-view. That's true. 
It is. And I feel the same way about the Beverly Brothers. The best thing about them was their theme music and their finishers. After that, I'm like, all right, you guys can go. Bro, their theme music was so freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was a banger for sure. Yes. The the real focus of this show was actually about what was going And I think they needed to put the Nasty Boys over at this time. They were a journeyman tag team, I guess it would be fair to say at this point. Yes. They would go to different territories, and they would work, usually win the belts for a little bit, drop them to a top team. Yep. And the Rockers, a team that I felt never really got the nod they deserved, and they wound up... Oh, they got it. It's just a, they would have got it if the ring ropes didn't break. Yeah, they, I don't, dude, very weird, because when they came out, what was your thoughts on their reaction? Because I kind of was listening to the reaction they got when they came out, and it was, I don't know, it was something different. Like, I thought the fans were still behind them. The fans were behind them. As a matter of fact, to prepare for this show, I like to watch shows that are kind of surrounding and, pred- uh, you know, pred- uh, that were previous to the show, and after the show, I watched the um, the show that they did, the the Battle Royal, the Royal Albert Hall, that, that 20-man Battle Royal that... Um, the British Bulldog would win. And they came out on that show. They were getting major reactions. I like to watch the old house shows at the Garden. They got major reactions. I think the writing was on the wall, but nobody really wanted to believe it. It was like they were having these in-ring problems, but the barbershop interview obviously didn't happen yet, but they were having these in-match interviews, or in-match, excuse me, situations that were not going their way. They were losing on TV a lot. But they were still the Rockers. The girls still liked them. The men still respected them. And they were still tag team specialists. It just, for all that high-flying, back-flipping, Hurricane Rana stuff they were doing, unfortunately, they were on the, the wrong end of a lot of one, two, threes. Yeah, I Yeah, th- so when I went back and looked at this, the... <sighs> This is going to sound weird. I'm going to say Vince McMahon's right usually in uh, his thinking back then. Uh-huh. He, I wanted the Rockers to stay a team, but Vince knew that this is what I really wanted mm-hmm. later on. And I'll, and I'll get into it in a second and sure. explain that. Sure, But watching the Rockers have these miscues consistently from, I want to say it started after Mania even. Like, you would just see miscue. Okay, that's weird. The Rockers usually never do that. They would lose the match. All right, they, they lose to... Uh, Kato and Tanaka or something yeah, weird. Yeah, weird. Like, okay. like, they lost to the Orient Express. Okay, that was weird, right? Yeah, and then they would just consistently lose. And then towards the end here, and you'll see when Shawn Michaels, um, Marty Jannetty, they were kind of both in the ring after a hot tag, and Marty Jannetty picked someone up for a body slam and knocked uh, the person right into Shawn. Yes. A miscue that rarely would ever happen, and Shawn loses to a pitiful roll-up. Um this was just one of those things that Sean blew up at him finally. Like, what are you doing? You need to pay attention. And Marty was just sitting there like, I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know what was going to happen with all this. And the, the story of this match was the Rockers are heading towards Splitsville. And we didn't really see splits like this during the time where it was kind of drawn out. We were used to Rick Martel, Tito Santana turns, exactly. in my opinion. It was a different vibe. It was a different deal. It wasn't going to happen the way the Rockers did it. Right, they were just, they kept just teasing it. It was like tease, tease. Yeah, and tease it was and it versus... was such a good tease that you really were thinking like maybe they won't break up. Exactly, and I was like, okay, well they're good. And can we can we jump to the barbershop segment? Sure, you can. It's it's my favorite favorite turn of all time. Yeah, I always have it down as that. 
Um, as a kid, I just remember being mortified of watching this. So Shawn Michaels is out there, and looking back at it now, you should have noticed he had on the black leather jacket, <laughs> his his earring, and Shawn got cocky ever since he had the match with Ric Flair. That yes, was the other thing. that's true. That's true. Yeah, he got a one-on-one match with Flair. He was probably like, "Oh, I'm about to go wrestle the greatest, my childhood hero." A match, a match and, where Marty um, Jenny, a match where Marty Jenny should have minded his, minded his own business. Exactly, and <laughs> Sean started to get arrogant, like, "Hey, I did better as a single." Yeah, and I think that's what I was supposed to realize as a kid. But stupid me, I was like, "Yeah, the Rockers are going to be together." Then Sean puts his hand out. Marty puts his hand out. And I can just still hear it now, Brutus Beefcake, The Rockers! <laughs> That's right, they played the music too. Yeah, as soon as that super kick hit, and Heenan said, oh, I knew he was going to do that. <laughs> that was great. Picks up, picks up Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels. He tried to help him up, but Marty Jannetty dives through the window. Face first, unbelievable, trying to run away from Shawn Michaels. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Sean threw him through the window, man. It was just a great moment. Marty Janetti's head was bleeding afterwards. Like they really sold that well. They did, and, and it launched Sean into superstardom. Uh, what did you think of it, Sean? I thought it was great. I think the whole thing was great. Shawn Michaels is is my number one to ever do it. I consider Shawn Michaels the greatest wrestler of all time, followed by Flair, Hogan, and Taker. But I don't understand why it had to be done then. Meaning, it should have led to WrestleMania. Now, we know that there was a backstory with the whole WrestleMania deal. It got postponed for WrestleMania 8, then it got postponed for WrestleMania 9, and then it just never happened. Jannetty had some in, uh, in outside-the-ring stuff that kind of prohibited, the, prohibited them from doing what they had to do. But for me, it's like, you know, if, if you're going to do that with Shawn Michaels, then you know what? Shawn Michaels maybe should win the Royal Rumble. I know that sounds kind of crazy, considering Flair won, but if you're going to do that, that or, or have Shawn Michaels win the IC title, you know Shawn Michaels would not win the Intercontinental Championship till uh, maybe about 10 months later? Yeah, yeah. But th- we got to remember, too, that that turn was so fresh still at the time in our minds. It was, it was. He was just working with top guys mm-hmm. to, to get used to it. And I believe so. The reason why I think this happened before Mania, Sean, in my opinion, mm-hmm. this is all opinionist stuff at this point. Sure. I think Pat Patterson was in his corner. And he said, look, Sean, you need to tell them you want to do this now so that you get some shine on you for the Royal Rumble match. Vince will say, well, we just turned this guy. Vince, we got to give him a big spot. Let him stay in there for a little bit of time. Right. Because you do it at Mania, you're not going to be the top guy. You think Hogan's going to let you go out there and do this? And Sean's yeah. probably thinking, you know what? You're right. Good point. I should probably do this now, and then maybe I can get on the opening match of Mania, a good spot to be into. I'm like, hey, I'm your new, I'm your new guy. I'm yeah. the last person you turned heel. True. What are you doing with me? True. And True. during that time, Vince cared about his storylines and everything else, so... I think it was just wise for them to do this at that moment. It gave Sean momentum going into the Rumble. It led to whatever else they were trying to set up for 1992 for him, whether it be his WrestleMania opening match to his beef over Sherry Martell with Rick Martell. Right. Like, they did a lot of things right, in my opinion, uh, in the setup to everything, in the lead-up. And, you know, something to your point, I look at the WrestleMania match against Tito, and that was almost his coming out party. But his real coming out party to me was that match against Rick Martel. Because you know something to me? With all the stuff, not in ring, because obviously they weren't in the ring that often. But the whole no punching in the face, the whole uh, Sherry factor. You know what? 
besides obviously besides Bret Hart and and Bulldog, that was the match of the night for me at SummerSlam '92. Yeah, listen, Sean could tell a story even back then. I think Sean knew how good he was, and he wanted to finally show that. I think the the tag team aspect of they get tired of babysitting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say the same thing for Brett. I thought Brett was excellent on this show, even though he was in the opening match for a Survivor Series tag agreed, team. Agreed. Brett shined because he got tired, in my opinion, of watching Anvil's back. And in the WWF, we know how it goes. Vince McMahon doesn't punish one person. He punishes two and your friends and your brothers and whoever else is there with you. True. You're all done in his mind. So Yeah, to your point, Bret Hart came out there that night. He was like, hey, I'm the Intercontinental Champion, and I'm not an afterthought. Damn right. Yeah, I think that was a, a good thing for Bret to say. And, and I thought this was a perfect setup for Sean. And I think having Pat Patterson on the inside working for him, uh, it, it's, it was a wise move at the time. Pat Patterson... Booked all the matches. He knew who he wanted, and Pat could help him look strong in the process to leading him into a bigger position. Because Bruce Pritchard and Pat Patterson, according to their podcast or rumors or whatever you want to call it, have said they pushed for Sean for years before it even happened. They were like, "Look, he's good, man. Let him go out there and do it." I've heard that as well. HBK had a chance, or in their minds, would have been where he was at Survivor Series '92, challenging for world championships and walking around with the IC strap. Probably two year, two years earlier, honestly. Yeah, yeah, that, just wild, man. And you know what? I always feel bad for Marty Jannetty in the situation because of course, you know, me too, me too. You know when people compare the tag teams, I was like, oh, you're the Marty Jannetty of the team, and I'm like, don't disrespect Marty Jannetty because uh, I was on another podcast and they asked me like, who are the greatest wrestlers that are like underappreciated or something like that, and Marty Jannetty was on my list because he was actually just as good as Shawn Michaels in my opinion. He just he couldn't put it all together. He, it was the personal stuff that just got in his way every time. And you know something? It's a, it proves that point by the fact that throughout all the things he was going through, he's still a former tag champion, still a former intercontinental champion. Of course, transitional. He, was, he lost it. He, he wanted just to lose it back. But the bottom line is Marty Jannetty was one of the greatest to ever do it on a tag team level. And, and I think he has the most comebacks ever to uh, the WWE. Facts. And you know something? His tag team with one, two, three kit, not that bad. No, dude, listen, I'm not I'm gonna tell you guys a weird, funny uh moment where I popped. In two thousand and five against La Resistance, when the rockers music hit, nice. I felt like a little kid again, bro. So what Marty could still do that even back then, and I just I think he's just underappreciated and uh, undervalued. But I was happy to see Sean get his moment here and finally become the breakout star that I knew he could be. And it all started at the 1991 Survivor Series with this little bit of a hiccup between the Rockers that led to Shawn Michaels probably going home that night and saying, hey, you know what? I'm tired of this guy. You know what I mean, Conrad? Yeah, yes. <laughs> so the main event of this night, as it would play out on, you know, uh, rundown-wise, the main event would be the big boss man in Legion of Doom without Macho Man Randy Savage because he was not going to wrestle this night against IRS. The Natural Disasters, without Jake the Snake Roberts, who was also not going to wrestle because they had to wait till Tuesday in Texas. So, this uneventful match involving the World Tag Team Champions, Legion of Doom, not the first time we saw the tag belt. I think, like I said, Animal lent Ric Flair's belt earlier in the night. But, it is what it is. Boss Man and Legion of Doom predictably win in a match that really means nothing. 
Yeah, when I see this, this is where I got my WCW thoughts from. Mm-hmm. Because when I saw this, I think Vince finally was like, ah, I finally got my hands on the Legion of Doom. And I'm going to let them main event this show right. to make them feel good. Like, you are welcomed here. You are seen as top talent here. They, A lot of people forget they had wrestling buddies, too. It wasn't just Hogan, uh, Ultimate Warrior, and Macho Man. That's true. Had, the Legion of Doom had wrestling buddies. They were a big deal. Um, and they, they were, were supposed to be a figures. much bigger deal in WWE than they turned out to be. Yes. So when I see this, I just felt like they were like, we finally got these dudes from WCW, the big bad tag team that I always wanted. Boom. They fit perfectly into this spot. Natural Disasters, great heel team. I, I always liked them. I don't know why. I just thought they were just two big dudes who should crush people. And IRS hated the dude's promos when he was IRS. Oh, please. He's, uh, he's my, terrible. Mike Rotundo's a great wrestler, but yeah. I was like, oh, not the tag stuff. Please, stop. I like stop. him when he lets Million Dollar Man do his talking for him. Yes. And uh, shout out to Bobby Heenan, who had a great line when they stepped on his tie. I think they stepped on his tongue. Oh, <laughs> so good. So good. So good. He was so great. Oh my god. Him and him and Gorilla's chemistry was off the chain. Off the I, chain. I gotta give it up though to uh LOD. I thought that was a smart move if you weren't gonna put the world title in the main event. Well, what would be the match that makes everybody happy? Because you already had the Rockers lose. You couldn't have that. You couldn't have Flair going over. So you had LOD was kind of had to have this spot. Yeah, and you know what? To your point, once again. Heels won the night, you know. Heels won the first match, third match, and fourth match. So heels won the night, but you can't like back in '91. There's no way that anybody's gonna go home unhappy. So you have to have the Legion of Doom walk out victorious. Like I said, match didn't really mean anything without Savage and and Jake, but you know it set the stage. And speaking of setting the stage, the pay per view ends with the Undertaker doing a promo. And closing the casket and the This Tuesday in Texas promo pops up and or, or you know, graphic pops up. Again, Survivor Series, a pay-per-view promo. That's what I would say the show was. Hey, I'm with you on that one. This is a weird show uh, overall. I guess we're not getting into that just yet, but just a weird... Funky. I don't know how to feel about this one. If I was trying to like rate it or review it myself, like well, I was just I, about I to. Ask, I was just about to ask you because we're we're wrapping up here. I can't believe we're fifty minutes in. We're having a lot of fun here. Um, historical value of this pay per view. I mean, there's a lot of obvious parts. You know, Shawn Michaels seeds being planted, Ric Flair's debut, Hogan losing the title. But what do you take from this the most? Like, what is Survivor Series '91 going to be remembered for for another thirty years? I think it planted the seeds for future greatness mm-hmm. with a lot of people while still paying respect to the legends, if that makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense. I think we got to see Ric Flair in his prime uh, get to do his thing while at the same time you planted seeds for Brett the Hitman Hart, who's a big star to you in the future. Even mm-hmm. the British Bulldog they gave some stuff to. True. Um, you also had seeds planted for The Undertaker. This guy's going to be a big deal in the future. I'm telling you guys, order this next pay-per-view. You're going to get to see it. Yeah. Um, despite all the finishes that I didn't like in the promo, like you said, for this Tuesday in Texas, they still had good things. Shawn Michaels, this guy was eventually going to become a big star feuding with someone like The Undertaker, Bret Hart, even great matches with Ric Flair into the uh, 2000s. Like nice. All this stuff was planting seeds for greatness, but if you ask somebody that night what they thought of this, they were probably going to be like, 
yeah, I don't know what this means. Yeah, exactly. I don't, know, I don't know what the future holds for this. Sometimes you got to just look at it in the long term. Like, okay, so Vince had a plan here. He was like, these are my guys. Slowly plant the seeds, but I'm still taking care of these guys right now. So start doing your stuff. I'm focused on this. Exactly. Um, really good, though. Uh, like, I'm happy with what they did here looking back at it now. No doubt. No doubt. You know something, like I said, I wanted to talk about this particular pay-per-view. Because there are so many loose ends that need to be tied up. But at the same time, those loose ends made sense, if that makes any sense. It was one of those deals where it was like, that made no sense. But you know what? Six months from now, I get it. Like, looking back in hindsight, oh, I understand why Shawn Michaels was mad at Marty Jannetty. Oh, I understand why The Undertaker won the title from Hogan. I understand why Ric Flair was the sole survivor. I get it. I like look, But it, it took things playing out in order for it to get to that point. True that. That's that's probably the best way to put it. And then, like I said, my first show that I ever ordered was that WrestleMania 8. So I'm looking at the next uh, two pay-per-views forward mm-hmm. for my first ever show that I ordered. And it, it's just so odd how everything played out. Because if you would have asked me this day, what do you think the card's going to be? It's completely different from what I would have thought it was. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Hogan and Flair was a must. Um, that obviously didn't happen. Even I, even Brett, would you have ever thought Bret Hart would have lost the Intercontinental title to the Mountie at some point? No, I wouldn't have. And you know something? I would have never guessed that we would have gotten so far down the line where Roddy Piper was the Intercontinental champion. Like, what? Like, I have no idea what's going on right now. They, they really flipped the script. That, to me, that WrestleMania 8's the first Mania where it was like, oh, you think you know what's going to happen? They just tossed all the papers in the air and said, nobody knows what's going to happen. And they really got me on some of those. That, but I always look back fondly on that one. It was a good show. A lot of people look a little bit uh, despondently towards WrestleMania 8. But I thought it was a good show. I thought it told a good story. At the time, as a youngster, seeing Hogan go out for on his year hiatus. But we all know that as adults... That was because of some scandal that was going on. But let's not worry about scandal. Let's just worry about what we saw as kids. Hogan went out on top. Macho won the title. So, you know, I guess Survivor Series could be known and remembered for the stage setter for 1992. Yeah, yeah, I would say I would say Survivor Series to me every year is the real stage setter. Uh, up until recent years, they used to always set everything up. And you would get teases like, well, would this work or would that work? Survivor Series and Royal Rumble were always just teases for Mania matches. You know what? Let's let's take five minutes and think about that. Um, 88. Macho and Hogan are the sole survivors. Macho's looking at Hogan like he wants to kill him. That, mm-hmm. that works. 89. Hogan's the sole survivor in the mid-card. Warrior is the, ma- the sole survivor of the main event. Looking back in retrospect, that makes sense. Um, did we see 91's main event coming by? Well, I just watched an interesting video today of top, I think, I want to say it was WrestleMania matches, or maybe it was playing matches, but it was top WrestleMania matches that we never got. Uh Uh-huh. Hogan and Warrior was supposed to be a rematch at WrestleMania 7, a lot of people believe. I've heard that too. Oh my goodness. So that would have made sense because Hogan and and Warrior were the survivors of the grand grand, uh, finale match. So that makes a lot of sense. Wow. And I'm I'm sure when Warrior found out he was losing the belt, he was like, oh, I'm not losing the belt and uh, taking the job here too. Yeah, facts, facts. That's a really good point. So that means 90 made sense. Mm -hmm. 91 with um, Hogan. Ah. Nobody saw Savage and Flair coming. 
So that I guess that was the the outlier. You know what I mean? Yeah, a lot of people were using Elizabeth for the Heat to uh, to get to those matches. Yeah. Um, and who would have ever thought too that some of the other relationships would go sour? Taker, true, and Jake. They 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 flipped the script on a lot of things. That's fast. Well, anyway, the bottom line is this was a good show. A little bit confusing show, but still a good show. A show that I look back on fondly. Um, and it definitely changes your perspective when you grow up, you know, and, and realize what's going on behind the scenes. As a kid, horrible ending, but as an adult, makes all the sense in the world. Listen, man, this was fun. This was fun. I enjoyed this, Conrad. I always enjoy it, man. This is, I'm happy as soon as you send me the message. I'm like, I'm on. Let no me doubt, know when. Man. You know, people don't realize, man, Conrad is my friend, man. We talk about real life stuff, too. We talk about our families, talk about everything that's going on. And we are very, very happy. I'm sure I speak safely for Conrad when I say it. We are very, very happy to, God willing, whoever's listening to this, give you a little bit of relief for what's going on in the world right now. Um, we're not even going to talk about, we're not going to name it by name. We don't give any glory to it. But we all know what's going on around us. And I ask and pray that everybody remains safe and, you know, be encouraged, man. And don't let the fear get the best of you because that's the biggest killer of all, that fear that seeps inside of us. When we feel like something's beyond our control, but we got to keep the faith, man, whatever God you believe in. I'm a Christian. I don't beat people in the head with my Christianity, but I am a Christian. But whoever you, your higher power is, say your prayers, uh, you know, have faith and be encouraged, man. So with that being said, Conrad, let the people know where they can find you. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at EPW show. Uh, if you go to YouTube, type in everything pro wrestling. Uh, either one of those two on any search engine should find me. I'm on Instagram. You guys can find me on Facebook. I have a Facebook group that's private. If you guys want to join in and talk some pro wrestling and not have, uh, everybody in your family see what you're talking about, <laughs> you can join the private Facebook group, get in there and talk. There's some wild people in there, but you'll have some fun. Uh, we also have the, uh, official page where all the podcast episodes go up on Facebook. You guys can join that too. Um, I have a link tree. All that stuff's in there. You can look it up, find where you can listen to the podcast, watch the videos on YouTube, wherever. Uh, I'm just happy to be here, Sean. I didn't even need the plug, to be honest, but thank you. I appreciate that, brother. Uh, it's always fun going back and talking about some retro pay-per-views with someone who is almost the same age as me, and we can go back and just look at the classic moments and just remind ourselves of you know, our childhood and what we know now and help educate people. So I think that was really fun, man. So thank you for having me on. The pleasure is all mine, man. Like I said, we're not just colleagues in this wrestling thing. We're also friends. And, um, you know, this is what it's all about, man. It's about building relationships, brotherhoods, uh, founded in wrestling, but, but it, it ends up becoming more than that. More, it becomes a brotherhood, a real brotherhood because of, uh, you know, two men who, um, have good intentions, good hearts, and we just want to give the people the best. So that, be, with that being said, man, it's been an honor having you on once again. One of the best all elite wrestling wrap up shows I've ever seen. Like this dude is so diligent in making sure that he brings the people the best. So make sure you check him out, man. He's super dope, and like I said, he's a friend of mine. But I'm not just giving him the plug because he's a friend of mine. I'm giving him the plug because. He's freaking good. That's just the bottom line, okay? So with that being said, man, we're about to wrap this thing up. Survivor Series 1991. It is WrestleMania weekend. Oh, boy. A little weird this year, we know. But it is WrestleMania weekend. Um, there's going to be two shows uh, tonight and tomorrow. So yeah. enjoy. I'm, you, know, <laughs> you hear how I'm saying it, right? It's like, enjoy. <laughs> we, we, we don't know what to expect, though. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you know what? 
America and the world, we will get through this. We will get through this. Keep the faith, man. So on behalf of my colleague and good friend, Conrad of Everything Pro Wrestling, I'm your homie, your friend, your brother, Sean Hubbard, the founder and host of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, and we will talk to you next time. God bless, be encouraged, and we'll holler at you soon. Peace. Peace. You have been listening to the Hubbard Wrestling Weekly podcast, which is an original production of HubbardWrestlingWeekly.com. Hubbard Wrestling Weekly is an independently owned company. The opinions and ideas of its host and studio guest are theirs and theirs alone, as Hubbard Wrestling Weekly is not associated with any professional wrestling, mixed martial arts, or boxing organization. Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, the very best in professional wrestling and combat sports.